made that with regards to one of the draft choices that I thought was kind of interesting, it piqued my curiosity. And if you've seen the draft and you've seen the NFL has their version, the NBA has its version, and, and uh, so on. But there was a statement that was made not too long ago about this particular individual who was drafted by uh, a specific team. And in, in the statement, and I'm not exactly sure what they meant, but I have some ideas, it referred to this particular individual in light or akin to the second coming. Now, if you've ever heard a statement made like that, it makes you wonder exactly what they were talking about. But they were referring to this particular person uh, akin to the second coming. Now, there's a couple of possibilities that I wrestled with when you stop and think about that. I mean, this, here's this kid coming out of college and somehow or another he's being compared to the second coming of Christ. And uh, yet I realize or I understand what they were trying to do. There's a couple of possibilities. One is that it may refer to his particular attitude as far as what he thinks he's worth or what he thinks his contribution will be, or um, maybe that he's going to solve all of the problems on this particular team. Or it could be just a, a, the fact that you know they just mentioned it, um, speaking that this person um, is going to make a great contribution or he's going to provide excitement or much expectation. I'm not real sure what it means when I hear someone use that type of phrase to describe a draft choice. But one thing that I am sure of is when you hear something like that, it makes you realize how often the world in which we live in uses phrases that relate to Jesus Christ. You know, not just a matter of, you know, when you swear and hit your, hand, you know, your, your thumb with a hammer, Jesus comes up in the conversation. Or, you know, or, you know if you've ever been to a sporting event and somebody makes an error or, or fumbles or there's an interception, somehow Jesus is brought into the conversation. And, and yet, you know, we use phrases like that and it just makes me realize what Jesus said. He says, you know, having eyes they don't see and ears they don't hear. There's just a, a total blindness and, and deafness to phrases like that that people say and they don't even realize the significance of what they're saying. You know, and it, it reminds me of so many things in our society, whether it's just the date by which we look at our day timers and our calendars every day that have to do with before Christ, they have to do after his birth, whether it's celebrating Christmas or whether it's celebrating Easter, which has to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, our society and our world that we live in incorporates Jesus in a lot of things without really understanding the significance. And so you've probably seen someone or heard a statement or seen a bumper sticker talking about the second coming of Christ and yet know that the person who says it doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. And it makes you stop and want to ask the question, what exactly is the second coming? What is the second coming of Christ? You know, literally, the Bible is filled with descriptive passages that deal with the fact that Jesus Christ, basically it's this, the second coming of Christ. You want to refer to the second coming? I look at that and hear somebody describe a draft choice akin to the second coming. It, 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 it immediately conjures up a word picture in my mind. The second coming of Christ. Jesus Christ literally will return to this earth physically. And the Bible says establish a government or a kingdom, for lack of a better word, uh, since we're not real familiar with kingdoms, would say a government. And he's going to establish a government that he himself will run for 1,000 years. He's coming back. And so when somebody says that somebody is the second coming, they don't really understand the significance of that. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Because basically our world is looking for solutions. 
And we look for new government programs. We look to try to save the rainforest. We, we want to clean up the rivers and our streams because of you know, uh, toxic waste and all of that goes along with that. We don't want to strip our environments with development. I mean, there's a, bal- there's a fine balance that, that we need to understand, you know, and littering and programs and all of this kind of stuff. And we want to rid our, our, our society of, of uh, drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And I'm all for all that stuff. And I think we need to do our part in every one of those areas and be as socially conscious as we can. But I want you to understand something. We can get all that stuff put together, and it's not going to solve our problem. But the Bible says there's one thing that's going to solve the problem, and that is the fact that Jesus himself will come back and he'll take care of the mess that we made and put it all together. And for a thousand years, we're going to see what God can do if he's left to control the situation and what he can do with what he's created. And that's what, literally, we're talking about when we talk about the second coming. You know, and the Apostle Paul tells us um, that that second coming is something that every believer should look for. And also, not only should we look for it, but we should look for that, too. Um, But that he calls it our blessed hope. Every person should look for and consider the return of Jesus Christ, the literal, physical return of Christ to this earth, should consider it our blessed hope. That's what we should be looking forward to. The question that I have as I think about this, how many of us really do look forward to him coming back? Do you really look forward to him coming back? How many people actually believe that he could come back at any moment? Okay, we believe it, right? Now, how many of us live our lives in light of that fact which we say we believe? See, that's the problem. See, it really is a problem, and, and, and I've struggled with it, and you struggle with it, and we need, to, we need a balance here because all of us say, man, I can't wait till he comes back. But I'll be honest with you. You know when I can't wait till he comes back? Whenever there's a lot of junk going on in my life. Huh? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I mean, isn't that the prayer? <laughs> I, that's what we all go through. Business is tough. Family life's tough. Trouble with the kids. Trouble wherever. And it's like, oh, Lord, come on back. Beam me up. Take me out of here. I'm ready to go. But it's like, man, you know, I wrestled with that, and I was uh, doing a, an engagement class one time, and I'll tell you what, there isn't anybody in an engagement class who wants them to come back before the honeymoon's over. <laughs> it's like, oh, please, Lord, just a week. Can you give us a week? <laughs> one a week, you know? And so you go through that, and you try to teach them that, hey, you know what? First Peter says that we won't be disappointed. No matter what we think this world has to offer and how good it is, and we can't wait to get to it, there ain't nothing compared to what Jesus has to offer. We won't be disappointed when he returns. But the reality of it is we don't live that way. See, you know, we, we say we can't wait to see him, but it's under our terms and under our conditions, and when things are going bad, quote, unquote, whatever that is in your case, we don't want to see him when things are going good because it's all going together. So we need to wrestle with that, and we're going we're to go through that and take a look at what John has to say about it because if you've got your Bibles, that's exactly what he's going to talk about. 1 John chapter 2, we'll start with verse 28. Our blessed hope. We should look for, anticipate our blessed hope, the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. And we're going to talk a lot about a lot of stuff in here because I'll tell you what, for a person who doesn't have a relationship with God through Christ, talking about Jesus coming back is some weird stuff. It really is. And we're going to look at that and identify that because, frankly, you know what, it's kind of like... I can, I can lead singing next time, I think. But isn't it like that? Isn't it like, I mean, you stop and think about what you're going to tell somebody. 
Jesus is coming back. Oh, how's he going to do it? Oh, just, he's just coming back. And we'll talk about that. And people think, oh, man, you are one weird duck. And that's okay. Because I know that I am. So it doesn't bother me. Verse 28, ready? First John, second chapter, verse 28. Talk about our blessed hope. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You know, it's a fascinating thing as you look at this, at this section as we go through it. But in the Old Testament, there are 1,845 references to the second coming of Christ, to the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. 1,845 references. In the New Testament, there are 318 references to the same event. A little more than one per chapter if you averaged it out. And for every one mention of the first coming of Christ to this earth, there are over eight that refer to the second coming of Christ. So let me just ask you a question. You think God's maybe trying to make a point. Now the real issue is this. If we believe that Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, came to this earth 2,000, approximately 2,000 years ago, if we believe Jesus of Nazareth is God as he claims to be in the Bible, and he did come when he said he would come according to the Old Testament, 800, 900, 1,000 years before his actual birth, the, the Bible, the Old Testament tells us when he would be born, where he would born, be born, what he would do, major events of his life, and he fulfilled all those without one error. If that is true of his first coming, and now there are eight times as many references to a second coming, how much more accurate would it be to consider what the Bible has to say about his return? And that's really the issue. Whether it's eight times as much or the same amount of times, it's going to be just as accurate because he didn't mess it up the first time. See, and that's the point. So we've got eight times as many references in this book about the second coming or the literal return of Jesus Christ to this earth the second time than we do on the first time, and we're convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was here the first time and he did the things that he said he did and he, and he, and he, and he uh, followed up on the claims that were made of him. So as we go through this, the thing that we've got to understand is what the Bible teaches in this particular section, and there are going to be, some, there are going to be four facts that we're going to deal with, and the first one is that hope, that our blessed hope, the return of Christ, reveals the reality of our faith. It reveals the reality of our faith. You can't have a faith, according to the Bible, that pleases God unless you actually believe that Jesus himself is coming back again. You cannot believe, according to the Bible, you can't have a faith in, in Christ that is real and deny the second coming. It's impossible. Now, conversely, it's true that for those who have a faith that's real, who have put their faith and trust in Christ, believing that He is who He claimed to be, that He's God, if you believe that, then you also believe that He's going to come again. Do you follow what He's saying? And that's the point that He makes. He says, And now, dear children, continue in Him 
so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of God. And so as we go through this, he's going to make some points. But one thing that really disturbs me is that we've got a real... God has an identity complex in our society. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But God has an identity crisis. When we talk about God, we don't even know what we're talking about. And this lady understood this, and her name is Deidre Sullivan. And this was in the Orange County Register just yesterday. She wrote a book, and it's called, What Do We Mean When We Say God? Uh, Let me read this to you, because this is some good stuff. Okay, here we go. Let's see. Attempts have been made through the ages to identify God. The New Testament's God is love. Thomas Aquinas' first cause, theologian Paul Tillich's ground of being. Now comes an outpouring of homespun modern descriptions. God, according to Joanne Stevenson, a saleswoman in Illinois, is a kind word, a helping hand, forgiveness. God, according to an attorney, Ellie Shepherdson, sometimes when I meditate, she says, God comes up as my grandmother with a frying pan in her hand. Anyway, this lady conducted uh, an interview, 700 people, 5,000 responses, and she kind of condensed them into 200 views that kind of encapsulated all of these different responses. Okay? It says, uh, Ann Williams, an Alpine Utah telephone operator, says, God is truth. He created all truth. Truth to me is things as they are, as they were, and as they will be. The Reverend Daniel Martin, a priest in New York, says the word God comes from the Anglo-Saxon. It means one who is greeted. God is the mystery of life whom we greet. Science writer Isaac Asimov of New York says, It seems to me that God is a convenient invention of the human mind. <laughs> Jungian analyst, or Jungian analyst, Jill Wakefield of Austin, Texas said, In linguistic terms, I think of God as a verb and not as a noun. Gabriel Green of Yucca Valley, close to home, we're getting good now, president of the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America. <laughs> Might want to jot this one down. God, God is the electromagnet field surrounding the earth out of which everything is composed. <laughs> Almost sounds like Carl Sagan there for a second. <laughs> Colleen Ping, God is that part of us that cares for a child that is starving in another country. You know, some of these are like, you know, they really are, you know, oh man, that sounds really good. But then Tom Landry, you know, it takes a football coach to really see things <laughs> as it truly is. It takes an athlete to understand but Tom Landry said this. He said, when you focus on Jesus, you get a much clearer picture of what God is really like and who he is. You know, I, I don't know if we understand this or not, but God doesn't want to be misunderstood. And he certainly doesn't want to be a mystery. And he's taken extraordinary steps to reveal himself to us. And in fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn to just John chapter 1 for a second. Because it's really important in light of this blessed hope that we refer to, the blessed hope or the return of Christ, that we understand and identify what we're talking about. John chapter 1. It's a section of the Bible that is worth memorizing because the essence of everything that is, that is taught here just puts it all together as far as I'm concerned. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that is coming into being. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
there came a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light, that all might believe through him. See, he wasn't the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world did not know him. The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It says, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is God. And that God revealed himself in a conclusive way, not exclusively, because God reveals himself in many ways. God reveals himself in nature, according to Romans chapter 1. God reveals himself all throughout his word, according to the law and the prophets. God revealed himself through the prophets. God revealed himself in many ways. But according to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, God has conclusively revealed himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we cannot get around that if we're to have the blessed hope of his return. We need to understand the significance of who he is and what he did. And so we live in a world that has, a, that has for some reason, made God seem confusing and calls God a verb instead of a noun and calls God a cosmic force instead of a person and, ca- and calls God anything other than what he himself calls himself. And that is he is a God who wants to have a personal relationship with the people that he has created. And to prove that, he loved us so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, God in human flesh. And he came the first time and he's coming back again. And the the real issue as we go through this is that he wants all of us who have put our faith and trust in him. And that's what he means by dear children. And it's it's, it's, um, regardless of where you are in your spiritual maturity, he's saying for all of us who have a relationship with God by putting our faith and trust in Christ, we should look forward to his coming and continue in him or abide in him. Why? So that when he does appear, we may be confident and unashamed. See, there's no question as far as the language of the New Testament that Jesus is coming back. I mean, it's not so that if he decides to come back, so that if he does come back, it's so that when he does appear, you and I may be confident and unashamed before him. But the question that becomes is a matter of, well, how can you be confident? How can you, the moment that Jesus comes back, and he is coming back, let's just resolve that once and for all. That's pretty clear, right? That when he comes back, How can you be confident and unashamed at his appearance? How can you be confident and unashamed? And that's what we're going to go through. But the reality of it is, is that he's coming back. There's two things. Number one is, he breaks it out in this particular section, and he says that you can have confidence. Well, how can you have confidence to stand before Christ at his appearance? How can you have confidence? Literally, it says, so that we don't shrink away. So you can stand firm, that you can be confident, that you don't shrink away. The, the terminology that's used is like appearing before a Roman judge and being able to stand before that judge with, with boldness and confidence and know that you're not guilty of anything and say, I'm not guilty. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to shrink away. I don't have to hide. And you notice that the word picture that's used, anyone who's guilty always has a tendency to shrink away. 
That's why it's so important that if you're not guilty, that you look somebody in the eye when you're talking to them and you look at them face to face. Because when I talk to anybody and they can't look at me in the face and, and, and they look away or they do this or they do that and they're looking all over the place, I've got a real problem with whether or not I can trust them. Isn't that true? I mean, I mean, you've had your kids. Your kids have been busted. They come and you nail them and they're standing before you and they're like, you know, I didn't do anything. You know, and they're, they're hiding. And, they're, and same, Adam and Eve did the same thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of, a, you know, a word picture that God has used over and over again. Where, where are you? Oh, I'm hiding. What do you mean hiding? Where'd you learn that game? Oh, it's a new one, hide and seek. We just started it uh, when we ate the apple. Um, but, they're, you know, and they hide. So when you're guilty and you begin to hide, what do you do? You shrink away. Jesus is coming back. When you see him, could you stand before him with confidence or will you shrink away? How can you stand before him with confidence? Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And it's really important. I mean, this is, this is critical stuff. Because if Jesus came the first time and he is coming back again, I think it's something that we need to understand so we have our act together when he does show up. In Romans chapter 5, it talks about being able to just to stand with, with confidence before Christ. Romans chapter 5. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Goes to, to verse 8. It says, by, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if we were enemies, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God or have confidence in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Do you see what he's saying? How can I stand confidently before God? Because, you know, there's a picture of arrogance that goes along with confidence. There's a fine line between the two. You can be confident and you can be arrogant, and it just depends on which line, what side of the line you fall on, right? So if Jesus comes back, I can stand before him with confidence because of what? Because of what he did. Do you follow that? We've been justified by faith. We now have peace with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're no longer in rebellion against God if you have put your trust in what Jesus did as far as dying for your sins. And John wants that to be very clear to us because it is a certainty that Jesus is coming back. And I can stand with confidence before him because I believe what he said. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that because I believe that, that I am now right with God. And as a result, I can exalt in him or be confident in him because it's all in his work and not in mine. I don't have to worry about, gee, am I doing enough good things? Am I doing the right things? Am I giving enough money? Am I going to church enough? Is, you know, is the 75% ratio good enough in God's program? Does he have a sliding scale? Does he want perfection? Yeah, he wants perfection. We can't live it. So he took care of it for us. So now I believe in Jesus. And I put my trust in him. And when he comes back, I can stand there and look forward to him coming and know that, you know what? I am not going to be ashamed. I have no guilt because Jesus... His death took care of all that. Can you make the same claim? 
See, if you can, then you can stand before him on that day that he comes back knowing that regardless of all the rest of the problems that you have in your life and the things that you struggle with as you grow with him and as you walk with him, the one thing is true that you put your faith and trust in him and that is all that it, that it takes to be right with God. And we're going to go through that and look at it. But see, the opposite of confidence is being ashamed. And there are some things that the Bible warns us about, like in Mark 8.38, Jesus said that, you know what, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Do you see what he's saying? That if you're ashamed of Jesus Christ, now listen to this very carefully, because what John's trying to get across is that there are different levels of growth for all of us after we've come to put our faith and trust in Christ. Some of us are here, some of us are here, some of us are here. There's a maturing process that takes place. The blood of Christ is what allows us to stand confidently before God. But as we grow, there should be some evidence of growth in our life. One of the things that has to be true of every person who says they believe in Jesus Christ is that there's a point in time where you grow out of your bashfulness, you grow out of your timidity, and you begin to be more bold in your stand for Christ in the world that you live in. You begin to be more outgoing. And the longer that I live and the more messed up that I see this world is in and the more I see people turn into all kinds of things that don't help them but cause them more problems, uh, the more confident I am that I can stand before them and say, you know what, the answer for the problems in your life is Jesus. You've got to know him because he took care of all your problems. He's done it all himself and you just got to know him. There's nothing better than having a relationship with Christ. And the confidence that you get and the peace that you get and, and the expectation of our, of our blessed hope comes with that relationship. And so what Jesus said is it's very hard to say that I love the Lord and yet be ashamed of him in the world in which you live or be ashamed of his word. Oh, well, gee, you know what? I don't want to tell you this because uh, the Bible teaches it, gee, and it sounds so stupid in light of what the world is teaching, Right? See, I don't want to teach that you should just stay with your spouse. I mean, you're having problems and stuff, and everybody gets divorced, and it seems to work out, so don't do that. Uh, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to stand firm on what God has to say. I, I don't want to say that all sex outside of marriage is wrong because, you know, gee, everybody's doing it, and, you know, and, and, and there's just different ways to do it, and, you know, you might as well try it on before you buy it because, after all, you don't know what you're going to stuck with. And, you know, and all this kind of stuff that you deal with. You know, we want to soft sell it, and we want to make it acceptable. And what Jesus is saying is that when we get to that point, then we're ashamed of his word. We're ashamed of his program. We're ashamed of his truth. And we have got to get to the, back to the reality of, you know what? I'm not ashamed of what the Bible has to say. Because the longer I live and the longer I see people apply it and the more that I see God work in their life, the more convinced that I am that God's program is right, his ways are right, his ways are true, and his truth will set you free. And it's about time that all of us start to see that. God's ways are right. No matter what the world is trying to teach you, God's ways are right. Go with God because he'll set you straight because he loved you, he made you. And you know what I tell my daughter in high school? I say, which one of your friends has ever died for you? Because as far as I'm concerned, I only know, I only kept in touch with one or two people from high school. No one from college. How about you? All these people that peer pressure that made you conform to do the things that they did. How many of you are really close friends today? 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. See, you know what? The, our partner for life is Jesus Christ. He died for us. He earned the right to be heard. And I believe what he says. And that's what we need to do. We can have confidence. And that's why Paul says, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of it at all. Why? Because it works. The gospel of Jesus Christ works to transform lives, to give hope, to give purpose, to give meaning, to give direction, and and to resolve the problems that we have in our lives, in our relationships with our spouse, our kids, our our businesses, our neighbors, uh, our churches, our government, our world. You know what works? This works. Why don't we listen to it? And if this tells us Jesus is coming back, then this also tells us how to live. It works. And you can have confidence. And that's what he's trying to get across. And you know what? And God can have confidence in us. It says instead, talking about those who live by faith, they were longing for a better country. We're just passing through. You put your faith and trust in Christ, don't buy into this world system. We've already seen that. We're just passing through. We're waiting for Jesus to come back because when he comes back, he's going to establish a new kingdom. I can't wait to be there with him. And so we're just passing through here. There's no sense making some major home improvements because they ain't going to be around to see it anyway. So he says, therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God for he's prepared a city for them. God's not ashamed of us, and we're not ashamed of him. That's the relationship that we have. You know what? You ever dating and not introduce your date to your friends? Some of us do with our spouses. You know, that's, I mean, that is as rude as it gets, right? You're in a group of people. They know you. You know them. They don't know your spouse. You don't even introduce her or him. Why? Are you ashamed? See, that's the way that works. And you go home. You'll hear about it when you leave. I guarantee you that. What, are you ashamed of me? I mean, you ever hear that? What, are you ashamed of me? You heard that one before. And that's the point. It's like, hey, I'm not ashamed of you. You're not ashamed of me. We've got a great mutual relationship together. I'm going to introduce all my friends that know me that don't know Jesus. I'll introduce Jesus to him too because he's my friend. I'm not ashamed of him. See how simple it is and how easy it works? And so we can have confidence. But also he talks about the fact that it, it refers to our conduct. It refers to our conduct as well. Not only our confidence, but our conduct. And that's why in First Peter, Peter wrote that we should prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. He says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when is revealed. Talking again about his, his, uh, his return to this earth. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We've just gone through and a lot of us have said, you know what, I believe Jesus is coming back. Well, the question is, if so, then it should change the way that you live your life. It should, if it doesn't change the way you live, it should at least affect the way that you lived your life in some positive way. See, he's not saying, be holy in, in nature. He's saying, be holy in all you do, in, be, in, in behavior. Are you? You know why he says to do that? So that when he comes, that we can have confidence and not shrink away. Let me ask you a dumb question. I thought about this this week. It was like, you know what? I'd love Jesus to come back when I'm preparing a Bible study. Wouldn't you? It's like, I'd love him to come back right now. I'd love him to come back in the middle of a chapel. I'd love him to come back when I'm doing things that I know are pleasing to him so he can look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's a practical application. Doesn't get much more practical than this. I want you to think every moment that you're awake that Jesus could come back right at that moment. Right at the moment you're about to do what you want to do. Right at the moment you're about to say what you feel like you want to say. Right at that moment that Jesus could come back. Would it affect what you're about to say would it affect what you're about to do? See, because 
if, if we knew Jesus was coming back in 10 years, a lot of us would wait till like we did how we got through school. When's the test? Thursday. When are you going to study? Um, what time's the test? Thursday morning. Um, about two hours before that. You know, that's the way we are. We wait till the last minute. But the wonderful thing about God's program is we don't know when he's coming back, and he did that by design so that every moment it would change the way that we live our life. He could come back at any moment. Would that change the way that you live? So first of all, we see that it reveals our faith, and the second thing it does, our blessed hope relies upon our special relationship to God. It relies upon a special relationship to God. And that is very simple. How great is the love, or behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. We've heard the chorus. But it's how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. Look at the relationship that we have. Only those who have a relationship with God says to as many have received him. If you receive Christ, you become a child of God. Right? So our blessed hope relies upon that relationship. That we are children of God. We can rely upon that. And it also recognizes the fact that, look at, look at the, what it says. It says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And what he's saying is, behold. You know what it means? Take a good hard look at this. Behold. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that He would call me a child of God. Do you recognize what He's saying? Do you recognize God's love for you? That while we were sinners, we already read that in Romans, while you were a sinner, while you were in rebellion against God, that Jesus died for you. That's a message that people need to hear because they're hearing too many messages about how they can clean up their act and be pleasing to God. What they need to hear is the exclamatory statement that is made by John and says, you know what? It blows my mind that God loved me so much while I was in rebellion against Him, while I couldn't stand Him, while I didn't want to know Him, while I didn't want any part of Him, that He still loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me and that all I need to do is believe that and He calls me a child of God. Do you realize how exciting that is? I don't think so or I'm really putting you to sleep. A grunt of some sort would be like, whoa. Even like, a whoa man would be good at this point. Anything would be good. Like, whoa, man, I never realized that. It's like, oh, I should have knew that before. But what it is is, God loves you. Do you realize? Hey, man, alive. You know what? I'll tell you what. I've been in, other, I've been in churches of different ethnic mixes that know how to express... God's love for them. And it's like, man, I'll tell you, I've never seen so many uptight white people in my life. I'll, you know, that's no, that's like, man, it's like a funeral around here. Ooh, that's in a little bit. Like, what do you mean, white person? You're white, tight, white Man, you know what? Loosen up a little bit. Do you realize what God has done for you? I mean, amen. Yeah, yeah, now I do. Yeah, that's good stuff. Holy cow. Like, cut me a break. But that's what he said. This is good stuff. And, it's our, and it relies, our hope relies upon that relationship. Man, I'm a child of God. And I can't wait to see Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Shout it, brother. Preach it. Now you're talking. Gee whiz. We're starting to loosen up. But that's good. But our time is up. You know, you know I got... I got, I got a friend who's great, man. This guy is great. He's a, he's, a, he's a black preacher. He's in Fontana. The guy is a wonderful guy. He does chapels for us on the Rams and stuff. 
But um, the one thing that's amazing is that he, he said, well, last time he came, he was late to one of the chapels. I said, hey, man, where you been, brother? He goes, hey, you don't understand. He goes, we're on CPT. I said, CPT? He goes, yeah, man, we're on colored people time. I said, I said, what? He goes, yeah, you know, he goes, you people, it's like you start on time, you end on time. He goes, you come out to our church, we never know when this service is going to end. And he's true, man, three hours later, he's preaching, he's rocking, and he's rolling, you know, they're dropping over, man, they're dragging him out, it's hot, there's no air conditioning, they're bringing new people in. He's there like, hey, he's rolling, he can't, you, can't, you can't tell people enough about this stuff. It's like, okay, let's see how much about God we can learn in 45 minutes, amen, hallelujah, you know. And, and that's what we're like. You know, I get people at the end of the class, they start looking at their watch, you know, their butt starts hurting, they start scratching it, they start, they start squirting around a little bit, then they come up and they say, you know what, what's it going to take for us to get the cushiony chairs? Because we got the hard chairs. And it's like, yeah, I know what they're saying, it's like they got a whole room of cushiony chairs over there. But you know what, I hope you feel afflicted this morning, because I want you to understand how much God loves you. And you can get excited about it and you can leave here, and you know what, maybe that's what it takes to get excited about seeing Jesus again. Amen. Hallelujah. Shout it out. Thank you very much. We got two hallelujahs and amen and a, and a grunt. And then we still got 87 people going. Oh, wow. Lord, they're yours. Do with them whatever you want. Okay, number three. Here we go. You know what? And here's another thing. This, if, you know what? You can't shout about number two and then shout about number three. Are you ready for this? All right. It reminds, all right. Hallelujah. Here we go. Shout out, brother. Here we go. It reminds us... Come on, get it down. Come on, come on, Jesus. Come on. That's what we want to hear. That's what it takes. Come on down. Oh, man, I can just see it now. Maybe they have the guy, you know, maybe it won't be Michael, the archangel, blowing the trumpet of the guy from Price is Right. Jesus, come on down. Okay, he says, you know what? Look what he says. It reminds us of the great changes we'll experience. Now, if you can't shout about Jesus coming back, then I can shout about him changing you. Hallelujah. Amen. I can't wait to that day. Huh? Dear friends, now we're children of God, and, we what, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we'll be like Him, for we'll see Him just as He is. Amen. 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 I'll tell you what, I need changed. My wife tells me, Amen. <laughs> amen, brother. Now i got something I can say amen to. Oh, hallelujah. Well, you've been holding back on that one. But you know what? But, but I need changed. And you know what? I can't wait, because He's going to change us. When we see Him, He's going to change us. And all the things that you struggle with in your life and all the stuff that you wish you could change that you really struggle with, He's going to change it when you see Him. Hallelujah, man. I'll tell you what, I'm glad He's going to take care of it because I'm struggling with some stuff, but He's going to change it because when we see Him, we're going to be just like He is. And that's a wonderful thing. And that's what it's Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there. We're eager. We're longing for it. I can't wait. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that we're not thinking, Lord, I hope today's the day. But if it's not, may I live a life that's pleasing to you. That everything I do and everything I say, whether you come back right at this moment, I won't be ashamed of what I'm doing or who I'm with or what I'm saying or how I'm conducting my business or my family life or my personal life. I want you to come back right now. Secret closets in my life, I want you to clean them up because everything is open and laid bare to Him to whom we have to do talking about the judgment that Jesus will, 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 will conduct when he comes back. But we can look forward to it. You know why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. We don't live here anymore. And if there's one thing that we can learn, it's this. You don't live here anymore if you've put your faith and trust in Christ. This is not your home. You are passing through. You are eagerly waiting for the day where you can go home. And I'll tell you what. If you've ever been on a trip and you can't wait to get home, 
this got to be a hundred times better. That should be the anticipation that you have. You know what? I go on trips, man. I can't wait to get home. I am so bad. My wife just came back. She had a great time because I wasn't there. And, no, and I know that. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And I know that. Man, I can't stand sitting around visiting with people I haven't talked to in 10 years. It's like, man, holy smokes. You know, weather wears out, you know, and the humidity and all that kind of stuff. And look, don't you have lightning bugs out there? You know, and stuff like that. You know, you can only do that so often, you know what I mean? And, and, and I can't wait to get home. I mean, I, I don't even go to the bathroom right when I'm traveling, you know what I mean? You like that too? Yeah, I mean, you just want to go home. Man, I want my bathroom and I want to look forward to There's my bath. Oh, man, that's some good stuff that you look forward to. A- amen. Yeah, now, amen. The guy going, he's always like, I got to go. But, you know, but if he's looking forward to that, how much more should we look forward to being in heaven with Jesus? You see what I'm saying? That's the point. We should look forward to that. That's some good stuff. And you know why? Look, it says, who by the power that enables them to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Everything that he, the power that he has to hold this universe into place, Colossians 1, the power that he has to sustain it with a single word to make sure that this world doesn't fly off into oblivion or wherever it would go, the power that he has to hold it all together is the same power that he's going to use to change my body so that I'll be like him. He can do it. I think he can do it. Because he's doing a good job demonstrating that he's faithful now. He is holding it together. And he's going to change it when he comes. And so if you look at that, he has the ability to do it. And the last thing is that it also results in a godly lifestyle. See what he says? Everyone who has this hope. What hope? The hope of Jesus coming back. Everyone who has that hope in him purifies himself. How? Just as Jesus is pure. Purifies himself. No, we can't, quote, save ourselves. We can't do enough good things to be pleasing to God. You need to understand what he's saying. We are made right when we enter into a relationship with Christ. That's how we're made right with God. But our behavior and our conduct and our lifestyle is what he's referring to here. For everyone who has the hope that Jesus is coming back, we should purify ourselves. You want to put it in our literal terms, today's language? We need to clean up our act. That's what he's saying. That we need to clean up our act knowing that Jesus could come back at any moment. That's what he means. Clean up our act. That's all that he's saying. And he goes on and he says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, since we have these promises, and one of them we're referring to is the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming back. Dear friends, let us clean up our act from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Let's start living a life that's pleasing to God. Let's clean up our act. Let's put all the garbage aside. Let's lay it aside. Let's, do, let's put aside everything that we know is hindering us in our walk with God. And let's just lay it aside and just walk away from it, knowing that Jesus died for it and that his death is big enough and sufficient enough that the power of sin can't control us anymore. So don't continue to present your bodies to sin. You don't have to anymore. You're not a slave of sin anymore. You don't need to be involved in it anymore. Just lay it aside because Jesus and his death is sufficient to take care of it. And also the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us is big enough to keep us from sinning again. We struggle with it, confess it, but walk and clean up your act. See, that's one thing that if anything else does it. You know what it says? Because just as he is pure. Let's start living like Jesus lived. Let's live a life that's pleasing to God in everything that we do, everything that we say, and everything that we will do. 
And I think that, you know, the bottom line of all of it is, and I'm going to close with a story, but here, here's the, the four things you can jot them down. Second coming of Christ should reveal the reality of our faith. If you're looking forward to it, then His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're a child of God. We can get excited about it. It relies upon our relationship to God. It's not based on what we did, but on what He did for us, and that's something to shout about when we really understand that message. We need, we need people to preach the fact that God did it all, and all we need to do is believe in Jesus, rather than telling us how many things we need to do to be right with God, because there isn't one that I see in this book that pleases God outside of a relationship with Christ. He says it reminds us of the great changes that we'll experience. When Jesus comes, we're going to be just like him. And if you're getting old and achy, and I mean, and we're all in different phases of that, and you're struggling with what this body can find you to, I'll tell you what, that should be one reason to look forward to when Jesus comes back because he's going to take care of all that real quick. The great physician is going to heal us instantly. And also it results in a godly lifestyle. I had a, a friend that really kind of, it, it brought this all together for me because it happened just about a month or two ago. I had a friend who was out of town. He was back east. He was uh, actually, well, he was in the southeast. He was in uh, an area of the southeast. And he called me one day. And he said, hey, do you have a minute? And he called long distance, and he didn't call collect, so I knew it was pretty serious. And uh, I said, sure. I said, what's going on? He said, well, you know what? I just want to talk to you about something that happened the other night. I said, okay. I said, I was back here, and a bunch of my buddies from college, and we were going to go out to this nightclub. He said, you know, I just didn't feel right about going, and I knew I shouldn't be going, and I was kind of struggling with it, and yet I still wanted to kind of spend some time with my friends. And, you know, he's kind of in that, in that in-between stage of struggling with, you know, wanting to share with him what God's done in his life and, and still be friends with him and still relate to him. Um, so he could get through to them and yet feel uncomfortable about some of the places that they go and the things they do and the things they say. You know, we're all, we're, we should all be there, hopefully, because we still have contacts with people that don't know the Lord, and that's where we are in that, in that struggle with them. So anyway, he, he said he goes to this nightclub, and he said the whole way there, he's just, he, just, he just knew he shouldn't go. He, he, he's kind of like, I don't know why I shouldn't go, but I just felt I shouldn't go. It's kind of like I knew I shouldn't be there, but I went anyway to be with my friends. He said, and then we get to this place, and that motif of this particular nightclub is hell. Right? Yeah, there's a place that you want to hang out. But uh, it's hell. He said they got these like demon type people with pitchforks and stuff, you know, standing there at the door to greet you as you walk in. He said you walked in the door and it was suffocating as far as the heat and the steam that was coming up and at a pulsating stage. And he said everywhere they looked, he saw people with like, you know, gargoyle type things on the wall and just gross stuff. And he said, man, he goes, I was sweating bullets. He said, I walked into that place. My friends went over to the bar, and they were getting a drink. And and he said, I went over to the table. And he said, I just started praying. So, Lord, what am I doing here? I know you you don't want me here. I know you shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. And he said, you know, and then the first thought that that came to my mind, he said, was, you know what? He said, I thought, oh, man, if Jesus came back now and saw me here, I would be so embarrassed. He said, and then, I thought, and then he said, well, and then I thought about you and the other people in our Bible study. And I just thought, you know, if any of those people saw me here, how embarrassing that would be. He said, and I just prayed for God just to give me the strength to just get out of there. He said, and his friends came over and said, hey, you know what, you know, if, whenever you want to leave, why don't we just get out of here? He said, I said, hey, I'm ready now. And then he went over to that other hot, hot nightclub spot, Danny's, and uh, <laughs> you know, got some dessert. And he said it was great, and he had a chance to talk to his friends. He said, but you know what? He just thought of that, and it reminded me of, if 
Jesus came back now and saw me here, wouldn't I be embarrassed? Jesus came back now saw me fighting with my wife and my kids, wouldn't I be embarrassed? Jesus came back now and saw me flipping off somebody on the freeway that cut me off. I'd be embarrassed. Jesus came back now and saw me in a basketball game, cheap shot somebody because I was upset for whatever reason. Would I be embarrassed? Jesus came back now when I was filling out my income tax. Would I be embarrassed? Jesus came back now when I was talking to maybe our creditor on the phone, telling him why I couldn't pay the bills when I knew that I had the money to do it, but I was just afraid to pay him because I'm not sure how business is going to go in the future. Would I be embarrassed? See, if Jesus came back now, it should affect the way that we live our life. If we really believe that, it should impact us. And the irony of all of it is, is that whether He comes back or not, He still sees everything that we do. See, everything is laid open and bare to Him, Jesus, to whom we have to give an account. He sees you anyway. So He doesn't have to come back to catch you at the bar He doesn't have to come back to catch you cheating on whatever it is. He sees it anyway. And yet, how impacting that was to him to realize, if this is true, and I believe it is, because if God tells us eight more times about Jesus' return than he told us about his first coming, then I believe that God is trying to make a point. And that is, he wants us to look forward to the blessed hope of his return so that when we see him, we'll be just like he is. And when he comes, that we won't shrink away or be embarrassed, but be confident and we can stand before him, knowing that, first of all, we put our faith and trust in Christ. And because of his blood, we can stand confidently before the return of Jesus Christ. But secondly, that we purified our own life. And that is that we cleaned up our act. We walked the walk, and we just didn't talk the talk. It impacted everything that we do, everything that we say, and everything that we think. That's the reality of Jesus coming again. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks and we look forward with great anticipation to the day that Jesus comes back. The Bible says that we should eagerly wait, that we should long for, that we should look for, that we should be waiting anxiously for Jesus to come back. And yet also there's a danger in that to some degree and that we live so much waiting for him to come back that we're not faithful in the things that he'll have us do while we're still here. Lord, help us to realize the sense of urgency that Jesus could come back at any moment. May it impact our relationship with other people. May we be bold and unashamed as we share the truth of the gospel and not be ashamed of it, as Paul said, for it's the power of God unto salvation. That it's the answer, that it's the right truth that the world needs to hear. Father, may we be bold in sharing with others. May we also clean up our act in light of the fact that you are coming back that we won't be ashamed that you catch us doing something that's not pleasing to you. And we, see, and we know you see all that we do anyway, and, and the irony of all of it is that we should live lives that are pleasing to you every day, that we should walk in obedience as children of God, knowing that that testimony is what you'll use to draw people to a saving knowledge of Christ. And we just thank you and praise, praise you and look forward to the day when the trumpet will sound and we can see as the whole world will see that Jesus is coming again. And we just thank you, and it's his wonderful name we pray. Amen. Next week, we'll take a look at the next section that has...